0: You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Our guest on Preaching Source today is Dr. Spencer Plumley. He's the senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Mansfield, Texas. He received both his MDiv and PhD degrees from Southwestern, and uh, he has a passion uh, for seeing the church embrace the Great Commission by raising up multiplying disciples. And that's going to be our topic this morning, uh, is preaching and discipleship. So, uh, Spencer, welcome to Preaching Source. It's great, great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. Um, how closely do you see the, the biblical mandates to evangelize and disciple?
1: How, how closely do you see them to one another? Well, I think they're inextricably linked. I think when Jesus in the Great Commission calls us to make disciples, he calls us to a process that includes both of those realities. And so I think it's impossible to truly evangelize somebody and lead them to Christ and be faithful to the Great Commission without continuing to guide them. Similarly, though, I think it's impossible to guide someone and disciple them without leading them to share their faith, without training them to evangelize and multiply in their faith. And so one of the reasons I think that's so important, Dr. McCarty, is because of the nature of faith and how faith is revealed in the New Testament. We see faith on the one hand as acceptance or adherence to beliefs, so, for example, when John the Baptist is doubting and sends messengers to Jesus and says, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one that we're to look for? And Jesus says, tell him what you've seen. Tell him that the blind are seeing and the dead are raised. Those are facts that John has given to, to anchor his faith, to anchor his adherence. But faith in the New Testament is also described as trust as reliance or dependence, so that when Peter begins to sink in the water when he's walking, Jesus says, why did you doubt? Why did you have such little faith? And so we see both of those dimensions in faith, which really show up in our theology of disciple-making. On the one hand, we've got to lead people to a point of decision. They've got to respond to the gospel in repentance and faith. But the faith that saves them is a faith that changes them, that faith that brings them to salvation, that leads them into a relationship with Christ, is the faith that they're to live by. It's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So one of the things I think is important is that we don't overly, uh, have an overly reductionistic view of discipleship just as spiritual disciplines. I think it's very unhelpful just to say, well, discipleship is teaching people to read their Bible and memorize Scripture. Sure, discipleship should include that kind of element, but discipleship is a more holistic process where I'm moving somebody all the way from conversion to multiplication I'm not done discipling someone until they're in a position to disciple others, till they're in a position to lead people in their life from conversion to multiplication. So I think the reason those two things are connected is because theologically, what undergirds those is a view of faith in the New Testament that calls them that kind of conversion, but also to that kind of trusting following of Jesus in their lives. Mm.
0: Uh, so do you think sometimes that seeing those things as discrete steps, as a person is saved, they're baptized, they're incorporated in the church, they're taught to be the spiritual disciplines, they're equipped, that sometimes if we see those two discreetly, we're, we're really robbing the, the healthy
1: process of seeing that as a whole? I, I do think sometimes we can unduly compartmentalize okay. some of these Th- things. Okay. Oh, that's,
0: that's a good word. Yeah, I think,
1: I think we do. I think we say, well, now you've come to receive Christ, and now this is your next step, and this is your next step. And the reality is, what we've got to help people recognize is, we're not, the church is not done in its task of making disciples just when they get somebody to conversion. The church has got to think more strategically about how they're really guiding somebody through that process. I agree with this sentiment. I don't think baptism is just the finish line. We've got to see baptism as the starting line that we've got to get people to. Jesus said, go make disciples, baptizing them in the the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. But then that flip side, we've got to teach them to observe what He's commanded. All right. Obviously, this, this
0: is a, a deep passion of yours, and you have thought uh, deeply and well about it. Let's talk a bit about strategies uh, at your church, uh, First Baptist Mansfield. What strategies have, have you put in place for
1: discipling the church in, in this holistic, healthy kind of view? Well, I think we'll go back to where we used just a moment ago. I think one of the things we've got to avoid is a compartmentalization I think it's very easy uh, in churches to see all the various ministries kind of as segmented, fragmented. I've got worship over here, and I've got Sunday school, and here's training for evangelism, and here's some kind of Sunday night classes that we offer. It's difficult for churches to see that as an integrated whole. And so one of the things that I encourage people to really think through is to not see their ministries as hooks in the water. They're kind of separate and disconnected, but rather see it like the moving walkway in the airport. And so when you go to the airport, and oftentimes in a way to expedite your journey through a larger airport, you'll come to those motorized moving walkways. And the moving walkways purpose is to move you from one point to another, I think if we can get our ministries to look like those moving walkways, it can really help us. Where Worship is moving somebody to a, a small group environment or Sunday school class where they can connect with people around the Word, which is moving them to engage in some kind of disciple-making environment, which is moving them to use their spiritual gifts and ministry for service, which is moving them to engage in the community. So rather than seeing them as disconnected I try to encourage our folks to have kind of a moving walkway perspective, a process that they're moving through. So consequently for us, the two specific ways we try to do this at First Mansfield are, one, we try to make sure that the expectations we have of members match the, the process that we're trying to guide people through. So if we have a new member come into our congregation—I did a class just this past Sunday—we want to call them to commit to the process that we think is going to help them make disciples. And so if it's worship, if it's connecting to a life group, it's serving in ministry, if it's giving, whatever those things are, that you're ensuring that that commitment level matches up with that moving walkway you're taking people through. The challenge becomes, if you develop a really good walkway, but you're not calling your people to commit to those things, there's a disconnect. So that's the first thing. That's a kind of a holistic thing. The second thing I do think is important is every church needs to find a way to develop some kind of vehicle for multiplication. Uh, That can be a discipleship group, some kind of small group model, but something where once a person goes through it, they're equipped to take others through it that after walking through it, 16 weeks or a semester or a year-long process that you develop, we've written our own, thing, our own curriculum, our own process at First Baptist, but where you walk somebody through that, that the goal of that process is not just graduation— and to be able to regurgitate the information, but casting a vision through that vehicle that somebody who goes through that process can in turn take someone else through that process. I think drilling down into the DNA of the church, into the ministries of the church, to make sure you've got a vehicle like that is essential. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, I love that analogy. That m- m- That's very
0: useful. Uh, it's a practical analogy for pastors with uh, moving walkways. We have to create these moving walkways. Okay, uh, we usually think of discipleship uh, in terms of, of programming and teaching and mentoring that happens outside the worship service, but let's talk about the, the preaching, uh, about the pulpit. How, how do you disciple from
1: the pulpit? Well, I think the first thing is that is one of the clearest opportunities you have to cast a vision for disciple-making. Uh, giving people a clear sense of what success looks like for the church, what is the church, is the job of the pastor. And that happens primarily through the preaching ministry of the church. So people should regularly be hearing what the church is supposed to be. What's the target that we're aiming at as a church? And so one of the opportunities pastors and their pulpits have every single week is through illustrations, through stories, maybe through some vision series that they do, but just regular opportunities to show people the target we're aiming at is disciple-making, producing disciples who we're going to make disciples. That, in a sense, is the product. And showing them that the preaching of the Word is vital to that. The preaching ministry is where the truth of God's Word penetrates minds and hearts and brings about that transformation, brings about that foundation from which people respond in obedience. So I think that vision is critical. I think the second thing I would say is a theological foundation through preaching is essential. One of the things we have to help our people understand is what real conversion actually is. I mentioned a moment ago that faith has two dimensions, not just adherence and acceptance, but also trust and and reliance. One of the great opportunities preachers have when they're communicating from their pulpits is to make sure they're communicating with precision and nuance about what grace actually is. Because what we don't want people to hear is, well, you know, I prayed this prayer when I was 16 once and I had this experience and now I'm done, I'm going to heaven. We want to communicate the importance of praying a prayer, importance of decision, but part of the nuance and precision a pastor can give is to say, listen, that faith that you had at that moment is critical, but understand that that faith is not an isolated experience. And so, on the one hand, pastors have to navigate the two whirlpools. One, well, on the one hand, of works-based righteousness. We're not saying you're saved by your works and what you do, but on the other hand, we have to avoid the whirlpool of uh, easy believism. You checked this box when you were little, or you had this experience, and now you're going to heaven. That requires a preacher who has nuance and precision theologically and can communicate that in a way that helps people. And so I think that's critical for churches and for pastors, that disciple-making really does start in the pulpit because you're laying that visionary picture, but you're also laying a theological foundation that makes disciple-making possible. Because it doesn't make sense, Dr. McCarty, to say to people, you need to follow Jesus. You need to give uh, Him your all and passionately pursue Him if we've told them that all they had to do was pray a prayer when they were 16. We've got to get them to pray that prayer, but we also have to help them understand the importance of following Jesus, not as a works-based thing, not as earning God's favor, but as a loving response to what God has done for them. That requires precision and nuance. Uh,
0: that, this, this sounds like a huge job in, in any size church, uh, and so you're, you're going to need help. You need other leaders, the staff, deacons. How, but how, how do you, as a pastor, disciple...
1: Uh, those staff and deacons that multiply the ministry. Yeah, I think that's critical, uh, because if you try to do that on your own, you will fail. It's impossible, regardless of the size of your church, small, medium, or large, it's impossible just on your own, and that's really not the vision Jesus gave us with the twelve disciples. He, from the very beginning, showed us a model of raising others up. I think what's critical is that you will make disciples— Uh, you will encourage your staff and your leadership like your deacons to make disciples if you're doing that. The first thing I would say to pastors about how you disciple your staff or your lay leadership is, first of all, you've got to be doing that by example. You cannot ask them to do something that you cannot do. Here's the way I do this very practically in our church setting. What I try to do is to make sure every single one of my leaders, starting with me, especially with our staff, can give me the names of the people, they're either leading to Christ prayerfully, leading to Christ, or have led to Christ in their discipling. What are the names of the people in 2019 you're currently investing in? names become a very, very clarifying reality for people because it really begins to make people think, well, who are these people in my life? Who are the folks that God's called me to invest in? So the first thing I try to do is to lead by example through those names. I want to have names. I want to talk about those names illustrations and illustrations in my life. I want to talk about those in sensitive ways, but I do want people to know I'm engaging in this. The second thing is I have an expectation for all of our staff, especially our staff, that the process we've nailed down at First Mansfield for disciple making is when all of them are engaged in. So one of my baseline expectations for every staff member is every year they're taking three to six men through our disciple-making process. That's an expectation I have across the board, and it's an expectation that as our church continues to kind of get this DNA in, its, uh, in from bow to stern in our lifeline, that it's one that I hope becomes almost a prerequisite for leadership. Before people move into positions of leadership, like a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or whatever, I would love to see a proven track record of disciple making, of evangelism, and disciple making. Now, that's a high bar, Doctor McCarty, but it's one I think that if the church really embraces that kind of culture, it can really begin to change the DNA and the feel of a body of Christ.
0: Uh, how do you, as a as a pastor, Doctor Plumley, uh, recognize? and disciple uh, men in your congregation who might themselves uh, be, uh, you know, mentored and, and led to be open to a call for
1: becoming pastors themselves? Well, I think I'd go back to just what we asked a minute ago, and that is I want to make sure that underneath their calling is a foundation for disciple-making. I think a lot of times we can focus on the skill of a man, or his abilities, before we focus on those foundational character elements, before we focus on those foundational elements of obedience. And so one of the things, consequently, I'm looking for when I'm looking for men to raise up into pastoral ministry is I first want to help them be a good disciple-maker. It's my view that disciple-making is this kind of foundational piece on which the call of pastors should lay on top of. Just like the call to be a teacher or the call to be a uh, lawyer or a butcher or baker or candlestick maker, lays on top of the call we have to be followers of Jesus, I think sometimes what we've done is we've made this call to follow Jesus in pastoral ministry obscure some of the basic levels of obedience we're called to. And so one of the things, consequently, I'll go back to is I want to see in somebody who's feeling called to ministry that they have names, what are the names of the people they've led to Christ, that they've seen disciple that they've connected with? Once that they've got a faithful foundation like that, I do want to give them opportunity to use their gifts in the church. I want to give them opportunity to express those abilities that they've been given. But I just want to stress that the way I think disciple-making impacts how you're preparing men for pastoral ministry is it gives you a foundation kind of a do-not-pass-go, do-not-collect-$200 kind of moment where you say to somebody, man, I'm so glad you feel like God's called you to preach. Let's talk about how you're faithfully, day in and day out, making disciples first in your home, how you're making disciples in your workplace, how you're making disciples um, in, your, in the world, in the neighborhood that you live in, because I, I, I appreciate what I've heard some missionaries say. Sometimes we think, well, if, if we have a missionary, he's called the missionary service, the plane flight over will suddenly turn them into a missionary. And one of the things that we know is that's not true. If they're not doing it here in America, it's going to be tough, tough, difficult for them to do that on the field. In the same way, what I want to do with a man who feels called to pastoral ministry is I want to help them make sure there's a foundation of disciple-making that's in their DNA just as they're living their life as a follower of Christ faithfully that then bleeds over into their call as a pastor.
0: One of the things that makes me uh, so hopeful and encouraged about the future of our Southern Baptist family uh, are meeting really sharp, young pastors and leaders who are growing uh, healthy, significant ministries and and really contributing to uh, the craft of, of, of pastoring, the care and cure of souls. And you have been listening to one of those this morning, uh, Dr. Spencer Plumlee from Uh, First Baptist Church, Mansfield, Texas. Uh, Spencer, I'm going to go to school on you some more. Uh, You are doing a wonderful work down there and uh, lots of practical, wonderful things to uh, help pastors with discipling and preaching. Thank you for being with us on Preaching Source this morning.
1: Thank you for having me.